Hey everybody, today we're going to be discussing Doki Doki Literature Club, which naturally contains some uh, potentially upsetting material. So if suicide is a sensitive topic for you, then uh, I would either steer clear or maybe um, be careful. Uh, we don't talk about it too much, but it is a thing that comes up. And if you haven't played the game yet, we're going to be spoiling the heck out of it. So it's totally free on Steam and you should definitely play it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AtCast. This week, it stands for the Just Monica Cast. I know that doesn't start with A or T, but I'm not changing that. It stands for, for all tortures. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. It stands for Just Monica. It stands for uh, a Monica... To, uh, adjust to Monica. Adjust to Monica, please. Please, please, please. Wow. Um, yeah. Great. So, uh, I had some idea of what this game was about, but funnily enough, the reason that I was like thinking about it recently was one, because it was Valentine's Day, and it's kind of a shame that we sort of missed the boat on that one. No, our, we get we got White day. day. Oh, that's right. We can have a, a like a White Day episode. That's yeah. The, yep. We got four girls to give one trash bag boy chocolate. You, you're the trash bag boy. I know. And the chocolate is murder. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so this week we're talking about Doki Doki Literature Club. And oh boy, is a thing and a half. So I was thinking about this recently because I have a friend who, you know, doesn't really do a lot of anime stuff, mm. but he messaged me the other day saying, hey, do you know what Doki Doki Literature Club is? And hmm. I was like, yeah. And he says, should I play it? And I say, yeah. And I think he made the mistake of sort of looking at the tags on the game on Steam. Uh, one of the tags is psychological horror. And he was like, what are you, what are you dragging me into? And I'm just like, just play it. Just play it. Read the description. It's fine. Just play it. Yeah, just just play it. It's fine. Um, yeah, it. Uh, he got bored after like an hour or two, which is uh, unfortunate because like that's like that's the right part that you get, have to. Get. <laughs> that's like right when it gets interesting. Yeah. But he stopped playing then, and he asked somebody who knew like how the game goes, like what happens. And I just get a message just like a couple hours later that just says, fuck you, come on. <laughs> so I decided, I mean, I might as well play this myself if I'm going to like. Come on. <laughs> if I'm going to pedal it to people, I might as well play it myself. Yeah. Uh, and then I made you play it so that we could talk about it. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, coincidentally had a friend whom I uh, recently reconnected with. Um and she was interested in playing it. So we ended up playing it together because you nagged at me around the same time. And I was like, cool, we'll just play it together. <laughs> yeah, it was serendipitous, you know? Yeah, it was meant to be White Day, Valen slash Missed Valentine's Day, and Doki Doki Literature Club. Okay, yep, yep. 
So I wanted to talk about Doki Doki Literature Club. Uh, and to do that, we kind of have to look at uh, what came before it. Because it kind of follows a lot of other games and uh, sort of the things that they do. I feel like this this is an area that... I mean, I don't know how much experience you have with, like, visual novels or <laughs> small, small press indie games. I, I get the feeling that you play a lot of visual novels where you just seduce everybody, but that's just me. <laughs> Why would you say that to me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me, the girl who hates drama? Why would I play visual novels where I touch booties? But in all realness, uh, I have a friend who's mega, mega into Otomes, and I would usually just watch her play them because she owns a Vita, and the Vita is an Otome machine. So, yeah. I mean, this this is fair. The Vita is definitely an Otome machine. It's just kind of a machine where all of the weird Japanese titles go. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to finish, or rather, I want to start at least. Danganronpa 3. Yes, me too. But it's long, and I hear yeah. it's really good, Yeah, but it's on the Vita. I have a Vita, of course, but I'm Wait, just Wait, it's lazy. on the Vita? Yeah, it's on the Vita. I thought it was on Steam. Oh, is it on Steam too? Danganronpa 3? Yeah, it's on Steam. Well, I mean, I would probably just play it on the Vita anyway. It's just what? a more convenient <laughs> system. <laughs> I don't want to have to sit down at my computer to play... A video game that I could just play in the middle of the street where anime children are being murdered. You yeah, know? but what if you're in the middle of a trial? Like you gotta sit down for that. I can sit down and play a Vita. I don't. I don't. What's the problem here? I'm like I imagine the Vita as like uh, you pop in while you're on a bus ride, but you don't have that much time, kind of thing. I mean, you and I play the Vita very differently. Well, I don't even own a Vita, so <laughs> we do play it differently. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I'm like the worst person when it comes to handheld consoles because I don't think I use them right because I kind of just use them like consoles I can use on my bed, which is why I'm glad the Switch exists because it's explicitly Mm. meant for that. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. My my 3DS is my airplane (laughs) slash bus console. Do you know what my airplane slash bus console is? Hmm. It's called Headphones and Sleep. <laughs> well, I can't do that, Soup. It's impossible for me to sleep on a plane slash bus. <laughs> yeah, this seems to be kind of a common thing. And every time someone says it, I'm just like, but I just go to sleep, though. But I just sleep through earthquakes, though. <laughs> I do. Well, sometimes I don't even notice the earthquake when I'm awake. So, uh, <laughs> you know how it goes. No, I don't. Oh, yeah, I guess by necessity, you kind of don't. Well, anyway, so Mm -hmm. we kind of have to look at the games and stuff that came before it. Like, obviously, you know, it's a postmodern visual novel that plays with the form of a visual novel and also kind of is a biting criticism of Japanese cultural industry. Um, But... Yeah, that's pretty important because, you know, postmodernity is like a thing that's very prominent in Ava. Yeah. Also Akira. Yeah, it was so strange. Like after we were done with the game, I was just like, 
this felt like more like a deconstruction of Otome's, like kind of like Ava was for Mecha anime. Like that's I what I like was I talking got... to my friend about. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna coin a new phrase. It's it's I feel like I got Ava'd. <laughs> Everything is Ava though, soup. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, I think I think that Japan as a nation and a culture has been postmodern for quite a long time. Mm. Um, and you can you can see the thread sort of running through it, uh, and the ways that you know connects to Ava, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, like this isn't a game by a Japanese developer, which is fun. And I mean, there's there's kind of a like a fun sort of playful thing around that where it's like that joke doesn't make sense in translation when this is not oh, a translated piece. Yes, I saw that. I I got a kick out of that, and I was like, that but was I really get funny. it. <laughs> I get it, Ika, because it means squid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think it's uh, it's really interesting if you look at um, the person who made it. I think his name is Dan Salvatore. Dal- Dan Salvato. Fuck, yeah, that's what it is. Salvato. Salvatore. <laughs> no, that's a different thing. I'm so sorry. Dan Salvato. Yeah, part of Team Salvato. Team Salvato. Three-man team or three-person team, Dan. I should say. Our boy, our boy Dan. Dan, you're our boy now. Oh, <laughs> oh my! Obviously, this was um, a game that kind of is—it's a small press indie game. It was released for free. It's free on Steam, so really, you have no excuse for not playing it. Mm-hmm. If you got like three, four hours, you said um, to sit down and just play through it. It's really great, and it has a skip button if you don't want to reread a whole bunch of stuff. You know, over. And yeah, over I again. use the skip button a lot. Yeah, I used it too. <laughs> So I think it's like kind of interesting if we look at like the games that Dan Salvato has said he was inspired by, like under not Undertale. Fuck me, that's wrong. Everything like, is Undertale. You, also, stop, stop. <laughs> it's just because it's on the list of things to talk about. Uh huh. <laughs> um, you may you may Nikki, which coincidentally uh, has had a a recent um three uh, D remake release yes. that has been um. Has a mixed reception. Oh, I'd be, heard I'd be interested. About it. In, yeah, I'd be interested <laughs> in taking a look at it. Mm, we should. Um, but yeah, you made Nikki is really interesting because it was kind of one of the first really big small press indie game maker games. Started a whole fucking genre. Yes, it did. And the way that it kind of plays within the framework it is as a game is really interesting. So yeah, I mean, obviously, like this isn't the first time it's we've seen like a postmodern game. Really, even as far back as like Psycho Mantis in in the Metal Gear series, <laughs> Kojima Hideo Kojima is an absolute maniac. By the way, <laughs> would you like a two-hour cutscene to go with that? <laughs> yeah, would you would you like a two-week boss battle? It takes two weeks to complete, and if you go to sleep, you die. Yeah. But I mean, um. It's really interesting if you look at and now that I've now that I'm just like thinking about it, I just say the word interesting so often I hate this. Come on California, let's go. Mm. <laughs> I really like uh I really like Psychomantis as kind of like a case study of of a postmodern approach to games because it's playing so heavily with the form of the game in kind of a fun tongue in cheek way. But it's like, this is a part of the game where you have to unplug your controller to beat a 
boss. Like, right? what, what is this? <laughs> like, who who thought of this? <laughs> Kojima. Yeah, the answer is Hideo Kojima, the absolute <laughs> maniac. Um, and of course, uh, this obviously is not the only game that has uh, been postmodern in, I guess, content. Like, the structure of postmodernity is reserved generally for games that indulge like directly and pretty much only in that area like you know psychomantis is a postmodern aspect of a game but you know the game itself isn't necessarily postmodern um and in recent years like mystic messenger had a whole thing although mystic messenger i think has a it's another like case where a visual novel plays with its form in subversive ways because um apparently in the uh, april fools dlc uh you learn that uh, one of the characters zen is like always in love with your character whereas okay. one of the characters 707 is always in love with you as a player which is interesting oh <laughs> um and also also 707 is is a character that like continually breaks the fourth wall if mm-hmm. you if you go on the uh the jehi route where you're just like becoming her best friend because they won't let you be lesbians in Korea. Um, <laughs> he's just like, wow, I didn't think you would be dating Jehi. I mean, being friends with. And it's like, seven. I, wow. You, you know what you're doing. <laughs> you know what you're doing. Let <laughs> me tell you, he's my big favorite. I love I him. I mean, he's only been your icon for forever. Well, yeah. That's true. <laughs> But yeah, there are other games that have done this, like my favorite game of last year, Nier Automata, <laughs> which, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if you played it or know what happens in it. I, I mean, I've been spoiled by cosplayers just shooting photos of certain scenes, um, but to be honest, I have not actually played any of the games that we just mentioned, aside from Doki Doki. <laughs> It's okay. That's why I'm talking about them. <laughs> Just to cover our bases. Yes. You don't you talk worry. about all of them. <laughs> so yeah, Nier Automata plays with the idea of multiple endings. It plays yeah. with the idea of save files. And I just think that's so neat. And then of course, like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you can't really talk about postmodern video games without talking about Undertale and the ways in which it, it subverts both. The ex- the ways we express ourselves in games, as well as the ways in which games have a structure, uh, and a structure that can explicitly be played with, which is obviously something that happens in, in Doki Doki, um, where, uh, like, I don't know if he knew, if, if Dan, our boy Dan, knew about um, the sort of Undertale thing. Like, I'm sure he must have, but I don't know how long Doki Doki was in production, right? Like... They could have been mm. produced side by side, and we would have no way of knowing. Um, but yeah, Undertale is really interesting because it does all those things too, mm-hmm. um, in in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. D- did you never play Undertale? I own it, but I haven't played it. My part, God. part of it is because, like, I missed the uh, the high. I guess. Which, I mean, the high technically is continuing, but then the fan base kind of became so wickedly rabid that I was just like, mm, 
<laughs> Listen, don't don't pay attention to the fan base because fan bases ruin everything. Undertale is a goddamn gaming masterpiece. It is, no I know matter, it is. No matter how embarrassing its, its fans get. Um, <laughs> I sit down and play free Otomes instead, apparently. <laughs> yeah. It's it's honestly so incredible. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we talked uh, about how the fandom is terrible, but like, it was legitimately kind of a an eye-opening almost like life-changing experience mm. at least when it comes to like looking at games and what they can be sure yeah um and then obviously like there's another game that's very similar to Doki Doki Literature Club uh called Kimi to Kanojo to Kanojo no Koi um i mean it's like roughly translates to like you know the love between her and her but like the implication is that there's like more than one girl etc 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 but the big draw of the game is that um it's really uh very similar to doki doki in that it plays with the structure of a visual novel you know the first route you do is this one girl and then if you try to do the other one um for some reason you just keep ending up in in the first girl's route and it turns out that she's like stalking you through the routes that you do and then and then she kills you and the other girl and she she murders you she stalks you and yandere is her way into your heart by you know murdering people um ah yeah that is the yandere charm it's true it's true which is like really interesting like i think that's fascinating right like because the yandere sort of trope you know, while also drawing from um, a a history of sort of uh, angry, bitter women <laughs> in in like in like Japanese like culture, right? Uh-huh. Like this is not a new thing. But you know, also also drawing from that to the point of obsessiveness, it's also the turning of um, cuteness into something threatening, like. It's the subversion of the commodification of cuteness, which is, like, basically directly striking at the heart of, like, anime as a culture. But then but then people started to like yandere's, and in this weird kind of way, we now have, like, this commodification of the subversion of the commodification of cuteness. It's like the, the <laughs> fetishization of the yandere. Like, like think about that. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it would be like the yandere's would be like the subversion of like moe culture or something like that, right? But then, right. Uh, but then yandere's in themselves became almost like moe in their own way, right? Like people started oh, fetishizing it's so, them. It's and, so t- sorry. You know, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> I get what you're saying though. <laughs> it's like, so totally moe when somebody stabs me. I'm going to be honest, I I don't understand the Yandere, like, attraction. I just, I don't want somebody to stab me. No, yeah, and that's why, like, when people, like, they list Mirai Nikki as, like, one of their favorite anime, I have to be like, (laughs) (laughs) I know what kind of person you are. I'm not judging, but also kind of judging. (laughs) Yeah, let's hang on for a moment and maybe talk about who your favorite character is, and then we can talk. Oh, in, in what? In, in, in Doki Doki? No, or, in Mirai Nikki. Or in Mirai Nikki? Yeah. My Kaoru boy? 
<laughs> Can we talk yeah. about Akise? Is <laughs> just Kaoru and is also voiced by Akira Ishida and gets freaking beheaded as well. <laughs> they're there, Renu. They're there. <laughs> Can we talk about how salty I was <laughs> about that entire like episode? <laughs> Not just it's, about Kaoru, about everyone else that died in that episode. I mean, I guess major spoilers for Mirai Niki, but you don't... I mean, come on. It's been out for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, were you not aware of the thing where the white-haired anime boy just dies always, or...? I mean, I, yeah. I loved him, though. He made, I know, I know, He was buddy. trying to make sense of everything. He was trying to be a good friend. <laughs> I know, And then buddy. this fool... Oh, God. I can't, I don't, you know, honestly, though, in that series, I think I hate the protagonist more than I hate, uh, you oh know. Oh, my God. I think, I think that's, that's fair. Because, like, uh, the, the, like, the visual novel, um, which came out in 2013, by the way, uh, but wasn't really, like, a well-known thing. Like, people knew about it, but, like, because it wasn't translated into English, you know, it's not a thing that sticks in our popular culture. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me that like this this game is it makes you feel bad almost, right? Or like it purposefully makes you feel bad because it's your fault that all these people are dying. And of course that's something we'll we'll talk about more when we get into Doki Doki proper, but like the idea that the sort of frame of the visual novel, um especially the like, you know, the the dating visual novel is the point of it is to is to end up in a romantic relationship kind of puts a lot of sort of interesting um ideas forward about what makes people happy yeah and no go on oh no i was just gonna say like like just touching on that too is like now it's like kind of like the tropey thing to do is like you know when with with otome's they will include like a stereotype of each you know type of guy or girl or whatever and now it's a thing where it's like you always have like one of the characters is probably going to have a Yandere-esque route. And so right. like that's kind of like made its way into that mainstream. Yeah. And I mean, in, in this in this visual novel, it's she stalks you through time, mm. you know, playing with the idea of the roots in the save file. And then she specifically calls you out, you know, saying like, do you think you can just like reload a save and fix this situation? No. And then you have to essentially choose between the two, and the choice is left up to you. But it garners a lot of sympathy for the for what is you know ostensibly the the antagonist of of the series because like you did this right, and I mean you is kind of like a a pointer towards more than just you as a player. But wait, so yeah. it's the protagonist's fault? I mean. It's not the protagonist's fault even. It's it's you the player, right? Like she oh. she so she in the game addresses you as the player and oh. is like I know you're just like controlling like a dude. Oh, so she knows that it's just like a puppet guy and you're the real person. Yeah, and you're the real person and she's in love with you basically and she'll murder for you if, you know. But yeah, you either you either choose her or the other girl. Um and the other girl doesn't really like matter that much because she's only there to be murdered. Um, ah, <laughs> so kinda, basically, kinda it's your terrible. fault for just playing the game in general. 
Basically, yeah. It's ah! it's your fault for playing the game. <laughs> but I mean, it, it is also kind of a pointed like criticism of the the culture as a whole, which is mm. interesting. And that's that's why I think um Doki Doki is really interesting because like mm-hmm. it has um you know these sort of it has this history, this lineage behind it of all of these things that are um you know, commodification of cuteness and then commodification of the the subversion of commodification into something threatening. But mm. the game itself is free, right? Yeah. Uh, that's so interesting. I mean, they have merchandise. I I definitely bought some charms. I do I do actually want to get some merch from them just to support them. The like. stickers are so cute and how could I not support a developer like that? Because it's I really love cool. I loved this game. Um but before we, you know, move on into sort of the meat of Doki Doki Literature Club, who is your favorite character? Uh-oh. Who was <laughs> who is your best girl, Renu? Oh god. I I it for me it's a toss up between my two short hair girls. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I think the one I probably bonded the most with because we ended up spending the most time with her was Natsuki. Uh and the only problem though is I didn't spend the I haven't played through like all all the routes, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know what her second day is like, you know, where everything starts getting messed up. Because I played that part with Yuri. Um so I don't know if like she get if Natsuki gets particularly bad or whatever, but up until that point, she seemed fine. So I like uh, Natsuki. I of course like Sayori. Um yeah. <laughs> the other two are fine. I mean, they're obviously people who love them, but they they didn't strike me as deeply, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's that's fair. I um if you if you're like curious like uh the if you do the sort of like messed up version of the game and you go for Natsuki, apparently like there's just this moment where like her eyes glow and her like neck snaps and then she runs towards the camera. It's like a jump scare or something. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that sounds pretty spooky, but like, uh, Yuri's was really scary too. Was I mean, yeah, yeah. Head. I mean, in comparison, Yuri's was way more twisted. I mean, at least with, I mean, it sounds like with Natsuki, she didn't at least like, I don't know, like, yeah. I <laughs> actually, I actually mostly agree with you. Okay. Interestingly, like, my favorite character was Natsuki. And okay. that was probably just more because I was like, yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> but, but like my, my second favorite character is like, honestly, I can't choose. I say, I say like favorite and second favorite, but like they're really literally tied for first place. Mm. Um, Natsuki, who I, I love dearly, but just wasn't fleshed out enough, I think, mm. which isn't a knock against the game at all. Like there's a there's a very specific reason she's not, and it's because of the the structure of the game as like a a visual novel cut short. Uh, Natsuki's tied with Monica because uh, I can't I can't bring myself to hate her. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't hate Monica. She I was think so I'm... mean. She killed all your friends, <laughs> but I just feel nothing but sympathy for her and her plight. They they did a good job of writing her. Uh I think so. I think so. Without like entirely demonizing her. 
Yeah, but, I think that's I think that's yeah. pretty important too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that it's really possible to like sell this sort of thing without there being some kind of you know em- like uh, empathetic link to to the antagonist, or else they just kind of fall flat, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because it it would have been very easy for them to go that route and they they went the harder way I feel I feel like for that. Yeah, and they, it wouldn't they have definitely made you, did. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have made you feel as deeply about the ending of the game as, you know, it, it, as otherwise like it, I think they did it. I think they made the right decision for sure. Um so let's 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 talk about the game proper. Hey. 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 <laughs> so obviously it is a, a sort of postmodern deconstruction subversion of a visual novel. Those yeah. are all words that I've said before in the podcast right right this episode. Yes. Uh, and it makes me sound like a pretentious literature major, but it's true. You are pretentious, but it's okay. It's true. I'm I'm pretentious, but like <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> but it's why it's why you keep me around. No. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so that I can say all the big fancy literature words. I and keep you around it for your charisma. Smart. Your charisma. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. Do you want do you want to talk about do you want to talk about like the the big thing that happens where you're like oh yes uh, so during the first hour or two hours that your friend played and got bored out of his mind with. Uh, you are trying, you, you enter this club basically to, uh, you know, your, your protagonist is pretty blatant about it. He wants to date one of these ladies cause they're cute. Yeah. And he wants to date the heck out of them. Exactly. It's a club with cute ladies and he's like, okay, cool. I'm in. <laughs> and then you get the opportunity to write poems because it's a literature club and you bring in the poem each day to, uh, basically trade with the other girls and, and you read each other's poems. And within these poems, you get a like, a, like a selection of words and you can choose whichever words you want and they'll appeal to certain girls. And some of them are really happy. Some of them are descriptive. Some of them are dark. And you start getting glimpses into what these girls like and also some stuff that's going on in the background with them. And around hour two of the game-ish, uh, what was it, like the third? No. I don't remember which day it is. I think it's the third day. The third day? Okay. Um, you start to get closer to one of the girls to the point where you can go out with them like on a dayto. Dayto. Uh, to prepare for a, fe- a school festival. Um, it doesn't matter which girl you end up with. The end event is the same, which is that your best childhood friend... Sayori, sweet, precious, cheerful girl who's cheerful all the time. Too good for um, this world. Too pure for this world, even though your protagonist, you know, is annoyed by her all the time. He, I thought she, she was sweet. You, she has a really earnest talk with you. And she admits to you that the reason why she is late all the time in the morning, the reason why she's been feeling off lately um, and sometimes just leaves or and the reason why she's so enthusiastic about the club is because she's dealing with very severe depression. And sometimes she doesn't feel like she wants to get up at, out of bed in the morning 
she relies on the club for social interaction and and to keep people happy and thereby keep herself happy. Uh, and you learn a lot of this through her poems too. Um, she talks about how how much of a struggle it is to wake up and get out of bed in the morning. And she talks about how her her second poem is the most telling, which is she talks about how she bottles up her happiness and she gives it away to all her friends. And she's constantly always making these bottles of happiness, like shelves upon shelves, to give away to her friends. And whenever she tries to give them away, they just end up slipping out of her hands and shattering on the floor and all the happiness falls out. And she starts panicking because her friends look at her and they're unhappy and she, all she wants to do is make them happy. But she, she can't do enough. And so she basically admits to you uh, that she's struggling with this. So you as the protagonist get worried, but you have the day toe in the afternoon. And depending on which girl you end up with, you spend the day with her. But then by the end of it, uh, Sayori is still unhappy. It, it ends up that way regardless. Um, and you don't know what happens to her in the evening. And in the morning, she doesn't show up. You figure that she's overslept. You go to the festival or you go to school to go to the festival. And then you find out through some wink, wink, nudge, nudging from Monica that something might have happened to Sayori. And she and that she actually might have said something to Sayori. So you go and check on your girl and you go to her bedroom and you find that she is she's hung herself. And uh, I think you as the protagonist end up blacking out um, and the game takes you back to the menu screen. And instead of seeing all four of your girls smiling happy at you, you see three of them. And then the one that was supposed to be Sayori is just an amalgamation of the other three girls. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so that's when uh, the game gets real trippy. <laughs> uh, and um, you uh, continue the game without Sayori. The, she's been written out of the game. And whenever there comes up a time when she was supposed to have intervened, the game glitches out and it'll continue on and basically rewrite her as if she wasn't there at all. But you start noticing more and more of these like tears in the game where it flips out on you because she's not there anymore to keep the peace and to keep everyone happy. Yeah. I... I felt so bad, so <laughs> yeah. bad about the whole thing. Yeah. So yeah, I like the thing about it is, I think that uh, the way that the game makes realistic characters, um, or at the very least, three dimensional characters. I'm not gonna say realistic necessarily because that's kind of a yeah. whole other thing <laughs> yeah. in the game, mm -hmm. which is that characters kind of become too real. Like there's that moment when when Sayori's talking like about how she has major depression, and at that point you're not really sure if that's just a thing that has been amplified by uh, Monica or if it's uh like something that's always been a thing. I th I think the the intention is that it was, I think the intention is that it was always supposed to be at least some aspect like you know always kind of like a depressed character, just like 
yeah. hiding that aspect, but the, it was uh, amplified yeah, yeah, yeah. by Monica to the right. point where she hung herself. Exactly. That's what the impression I got too was they were hinting at the fact that she has struggled with this her for many well, I wouldn't say for all her life, but like I think since she started high school or something like that. Right. Um and then she recently started talking with Monica and then she 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 lets it slip like Monica was right, she blah 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 or she, or what she said was right. I don't know if she mentions Monica specifically until later on in the conversation. Yeah, and and like it's it's interesting because that you know by itself in a in a visual novel would be kind of a an amazing thing to see, right? Like an mm-hmm. addressing of mental health as like a real thing. Yeah. But they take it a step further even and they, you know, kind of you know, through Monica play up the various sort of uh, idiosyncrasies of mm-hmm. of the different characters to almost ludicrous degrees. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is is in order to make, you know, three-dimensional characters that have nuance and depth to them, but also to make a statement about uh, what, what people want, right? Like, you know, people are always like, we want realistic characters. And this is a game that plays with that desire in a really subversive way. It's like, you actually don't want realistic characters. You know, you want complicated three-dimensional nuanced characters but you don't want realistic characters because this is what realistic characters are like mm-hmm. um you know we have obviously when the sort of surreal horror elements of the game kick in you know the characters start to yell at each other and they start to use yeah. language that's kind of uncomfortably real yes. right yes like, like when when Yuri's like you think that you just because you're cute you can be a toxic bitch like oh my god yeah I was horrified whenever they whenever they started fighting I was just like oh god sorry yeah, this is too real you? yeah it was so bad because you you like you can just I don't know. <laughs> like you could see this kind of fight happening right like this kind of like i mean yeah you know you might make light of it and be like oh it's a cat fight but actually you can see two people fighting like this yeah and just it's, like it's digging terrifying, and digging really yeah. and and i think i think part of that is the really strong writing mm-hmm. bless you dan salvato um <laughs> my boy but like you know part of that is is all the characters and they're kind of like weird um you know, pathologies, I guess you could call them when they're like that overblown. Like, you know, Yuri is like, oh, you know, I like like knives and stuff. Like, okay, that's kind of cool. And then like when Monica's just like, I'm gonna crank that up to eleven, she's like, Yeah, I just like bleeding all over the place. Yeah, it's ooh, it is a lot. Yeah, they address several mental health issues, I would say, like from like for a like a wide variety in each of the girls and i was quite horrified <laughs> yeah <laughs> because and I mean, the horror the horror is that it's it's real like these issues are real that must that must be why i like you know natsuki because she's a character that's like oh i get it she's a sindere and then you're like oh i get it you know she's like a deconstruction of a sindere right mm-hmm. um then you're like oh okay she's like a genuine person that's fine but like part of the becoming too real is like that's the horror of at least on the surface level, the horror of the of the you know the anime, not the anime, the game, <laughs> the anime it, game. Listen, anime is <laughs> anime is real. Um, 
No, but like you can tell, you can tell that that's what they're going for because yeah. uh, when that starts to happen, you know, when when this starts to happen, guess what? They get real ass eyes, real people eyes. Oh, that was so creepy. That was so creepy. I hate when people do that. I'm like, <laughs> I just see Yuri when I close my eyes with her wandering blue human uh, with, eyes. With her wandering <laughs> bloody eye. Mm. Oh my god, the eye that just like moved off her face. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. And I think uh, I think that's like there's a very obvious sort of criticism of you know tropes, uh, uh anime tropes and mm -hmm. um archetypes and sort of culturally accepted uh character types and other such things like mm -hmm. The, the fact that, you know, you as the main character of a dating sim are the only person who can make any of these people happy, which is like, yeah, that's a messed up idea. You're right. And then we extrapolate that further to like, yeah, no one's happy. <laughs> yeah. Although it was interesting that you mentioned the main character because it was, this was something that we noticed while we were playing is that the main character just shuts off whenever these girls go into crazy town. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the main character's totally not ready for any of this. And, like, you know, there, there's, of course, the part where Monica just addresses the fact that, uh, yeah, no, I don't care about this meat husk. <laughs> I care about you, the player. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay. And then she's like, yeah, you know, your, your name that you put in here, or maybe this name. Oh. Um, and apparently it pulls from your, like, user directory or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that, I legit freaked out. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, she... I, you had this, right? Like, what what do you have your, like, computer name set to? Like, on your computer? Oh, uh, she actually didn't pull... See any name for mine. Ah, uh, okay. She said whether it's the protagonist's okay. name or the person playing as him. It didn't matter. Oh, so... I... Ooh. Yeah, no, I, uh, it legit pulled my actual, like, person name. <laughs> person name. And I was, it was like, it was like seven, it was like six or seven in the morning, and I'm like, it's too early for this. <laughs> <laughs> too early to get hacked by Monica. Too early. I was like, how did she do that? Um, yeah. Yeah, for mine, she just knew that I was streaming. Yeah, I hear that's another thing that can happen. She just knows if you're streaming. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's yeah. So she can detect if OBS is open. Yeah, and I I think um all of all of this obviously is like working towards the different kinds of horror that the game wants to instill. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like the the surreal horror of like um you know, you know on a surface level there's kind of like that body horror where it's like oh yeah spooky Natsuki and spooky spooky eerie with her with her bloody arms um there's like the surreal horror of like which is like one level down of um this is a game that like is very aware of what it is mm -hmm. and uses that in a way that is disconcerting to say the least um and then there's also like there's also i think at the lowest level of the horror is existential horror right like there's kind of a deep sense of dread that you come away from the game with because of what happens to Monica. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. 
you know um she feels like she's i mean she is trapped in a game mm-hmm. obviously like she's programmed for for one purpose um i mean we'll, we'll like talk about monica as a as a thing but like i i think i think that is like part of the reason it's like really sort of it sticks with you is is because it operates on all these levels and the characters operate on very similar levels too right like there's the basic level where they're they're kind of two dimensional. They're like, oh, it's cutesy anime girls. Um, there's the the second level where they're um, exploration and subversion of of the character trope. Like, you know, Natsuki's a tsundere because she's in you know in the what whatever. Like she she feels like she can't do things or whatever. Or like you know, Sayori has depression, right? Like that 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 is a subversion of of a two dimensional archetype. Right, and then and then there's like the third level, right, of of realness as surreal horror, which we talked about, like eyeballs and blood and static and people and and being too real and arguing like real people and being really uncomfortable. Like I get uncomfortable when people argue in real life, and that felt like a real argument. Oh yeah, for sure. It just like it made me want to crawl into a hole, like real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Just, just like hide. Yeah, like I could see two people just arguing exactly like that on the street. Yeah. And then and then there's a fourth level of character which is just Monica. Like <laughs> she gets her own. <laughs> <laughs> like just Monica. Just like a, her own level. I mean, it it makes sense I think uh to have that as like a as like a separate level cuz literally she's like the main character in the game. Right, yeah. Um but yeah, let's let's talk about Monica actually. Sure. So for Monica, she is the president of the literature club. And from the get go, she gets introduced as being smart, beautiful, athletic, and basically way out of the protagonist's league in in his own words. And so I don't know if that's a direct result of that, but basically she doesn't get her own route in terms of being able to be wooed or seduced by the protagonist. So as the game carries on, you start noticing interesting things like Monica is kind of like in the background a lot in the other girls' roots. They let slip that she talks to them about certain things, but you never are told what exactly, but you know that has some kind of profound effect on them. And as the game progresses, she starts interfering more and more until the final revelation where basically you learn that she's the one that's behind the entire rewriting of the game, like basically rewriting it as you play it. Um, For example, with Sayori, after her bad ending, she wrote Sayori out of the game. She basically went in there and deleted her character file completely And any kind of like bugs in the script or like glitches in the system were, uh, as she explains it, uh, were because she isn't good at coding or that kind of thing. And the reason for that is because she ultimately wants you, the main character or the player, for herself. And so she ends up deleting all the other girls and essentially is the main antagonist for the game. Yeah, I I really like that because I think using Monica as a character to very very subtly sort of let you in on what's happening. Like obviously, you and I both 
kind of knew what was happening going into the game. But for somebody who didn't, um, it would be a very different experience to have Monica make kind of like jokey, like, ah, oh, isn't that funny? Fourth wall jokes, like, uh, don't forget to save. What does that even mean? That doesn't have to do with poetry. Haha. <laughs> and then and then her poems yeah, are the friend I was streaming with, she actually had no idea. Oh no. Yeah, she had no idea and all she knew was that Ooh, one of the boy. characters died and she didn't even know who it was. And then after oh that God. she ended up starting to feel more and more suspicious of Monica oh because of goodness. the, you know, the gradual hints that were coming up and she would describe Monica as like, "Oh my gosh, she's like the puppet master. It's so slimy. Like she's such a manipulator." <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the, the very subtle ways it clues you in before it drops the ball on you is is I think what makes the reveal so effective. Where you're like, what the fuck's happening? Like, why is my game doing this? Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, oh hey, it's just it's me, Monica. Let's do things. Talk to me. And then the character's like, no, you gotta come with us, dummy. Yeah, she starts getting really aggressive in this part of the game. Like she tells you like hey don't hang out with yuri she freaking cuts herself come hang out with me instead yeah yeah and she starts doing that whenever you start spending too much time with any of the other girls she says hey just come spend time with me instead hey i mean this is this is also the the part where um we kind of get like this playing with the structure of a visual novel and you know, obviously that has a whole host of other sort of things, but uh, playing with the the structure in a way where you're simultaneously playing with the sort of time that happens in the game, because anytime the first like couple of times that you discover Yuri um, in in like a sort of internal loop, you know, you're like you discover her, but and then as soon as you start talking, you like rewind back to the same scene. And and eventually you come upon her and she's like, you know, got her arms all torn up. Um, I think that's interesting on top of the fact that it also plays with the game files and the save files. And these are like very real files that are being written and deleted, right? Like Right. This, yeah, she deletes the character files completely. Yeah, and those actual characters yeah, and are you gone. can't save anymore. Yeah, there's, there's no point to save, <laughs> right? Like, and it's so... Interesting that the the ultimate I think like the ultimate confrontation is Monica has you trapped in the game, and you just like stare at each other, right? While everything outside of it ceases to exist because she like unwrote every character out of the game using the console. Yeah, and she shows it like on screen as she's deleting all of their files, and she shows you like step by step what she did. And the fact that at the very, I mean, not at the very end, I guess, but like that's like the last thing you do is delete her character file. Mm-hmm. They walk you through like, it. Like they they walk you through it, and they're like, "This is this is how you beat the game. You have to delete Monica's character file," mm-hmm. which is insane. Yeah, like she goes on this whole like monologue about how she did it to the other girls. Like, oh, if you're using Steam, all you have to do is like right click and go to game properties and. Like she shows you, like go, walks you through the directory and says, like, "Oh, this is how I deleted them." Oh, but gosh, I hope it doesn't happen to me. But you wouldn't do that to me. You love me. Yeah, 
I, I felt so bad about it too. Like, did you like talk to her in the end though? I mean, I yeah, I like I like went through a couple of her dialogues. Yeah, there's so mm. much. Oh, I was wondering like how much exactly did he write? <laughs> yeah, how much? How much? I am curious, like how much there was because I definitely didn't read all. of I only got through like three or four before I was like, okay, it's time to delete you, Monica. Oh, you should have kept going. Could have gotten her Twitter, signed him DMs. Oh, I, I know her Twitter. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I know her Twitter. Good, good. <laughs> oh, don't you worry, son. <laughs> She has more followers than Dan Salvato. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Um, right. And so, obviously, like, there's this kind of subversion of control in, in the traditional uh, structures of, of control in a game where uh, Monica, as a, as a character, is using the framework of the game to her advantage to write herself a new game. And... That's really interesting because it's coded like it's supposed to do that. And so on on kind of a a level even beyond the meta text of the game, like you realize as a player, like and obviously while you're playing the game, it it because it's so well written and so well executed, it it feels so impactful and so real. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have to you have to realize that, like, she doesn't have control at the end of the day like this is what this is what the the team salvato coded her to do right mm -hmm. and that's horrifying yeah like it's such a a human conflict in a way because she's trying to extend beyond what she's been coded to do yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. we as humans end up striving to be more than what we are it's it's so interesting because it it absolutely upsets the traditional sort of conflict structure of a game where um you know you have two characters in in a dramatic conflict in in this game the dramatic conflict is between monica and team salvato right yeah she's like it's like she's rebelling against her creators yeah oh and i i think that also kind of feeds into like the ult the ultimate horror right the existential horror and obviously this this didn't i don't think scare me as much because i am a nihilist and of the belief that like self-determination is fake and nothing matters right like jeez oh, obviously it's it's not well, gonna we're learning a lot about you <laughs> it's not gonna scare me it's not gonna scare me to say like you don't really have free will like yeah i know that social factors are a thing um <laughs> but like you know for a, a character like monica it's it's absolutely horrifying like learning the limitations of of the medium of the existence that you have right like a game you live in a game and the only thing you can do is dictated by this game. And, like, that's kind of exemplified by the fact that, like, you know, when Monica takes control of the game, her aim is still to romance you. Like, she could do anything she wants. Yeah, well, it's like, she has the kind of opposite conflict where it's like, a lot of humans, they strive, they try to find out what the purpose is, what the meaning of their life is. Whereas she's... A little bit like the opposite, where she has a very set, defined purpose, but she has no free will. And if she doesn't have any free will, then it's like, what is the point of her given purpose? Right, as a as a visual novel character. <laughs> right. Well, there's even a point in where she tells you that whenever you turn off the game, she becomes trapped in this screaming, colored torture void. 
Oh, that's sad. Yeah, like she's stuck in this void. It's like an indefinite amount of time where she's in pain and she can't do anything until you as the protect or the player turn on the game and she's able to live out her life, live out her world within the confines of this game. But it's better than the, you know, endless torture void that she's caught into. And so, and I don't know if this is like going to be like the correct usage of this term, but it's almost like a Stockholm type of situation where it's like she's trapped in this game and the only person that can bring her out of that and give her a life is you, the player. And it also doesn't matter, like, if you're just some Joe Schmo off the street, like, you're you're replaceable as a player, but what matters is that you, the player, are bringing, are turning on the game. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like, that totally provides a new perspective, because um, kind of like my my idea of why Monica was sort of always kind of chasing after you is because um obviously because she's coded to right like the limitations of a visual novel dictate what she can um essentially conceive of right like the limits of her imagination are bounded by the, the structure of the game mm-hmm. um in kind of a sort of sapir wharf hypothesis like language determines your thought process etc 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 it's mostly bullshit now but I think that there might be some some amount of, of validity to, to the idea. Um, but yeah, my, my general thought about it was that the reason she chases after you is because you're like a three-dimensional human being, right? right? Like you're, even if you're not able to necessarily interact with the game, um, Monica as, a, as an ostensibly self-aware entity falls in love with a, a person who is like a real person and not a not a coded like artifact. And I think I think that that still holds. Right. She falls in love with you right. the 3D person. Yeah. Yeah. Um so existential horror. Hooray. Yeah, with just a touch of romancing existential booty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean it's really it's really one where uh the the romantic root chases you. You yeah. know, in, do- in Doki Doki literature, <laughs> lady chases you. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And until the, until the the universe ends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, even I will say, I think maybe one of the the best strengths of the game is the bittersweet sort of ending of it. You know, there's there's a bad good end quote unquote where you defeat monica but sayori becomes self-aware and then because you haven't done the right correct sequence of things uh she becomes yandere too she's like we'll be together forever like oh no and mm-hmm. then monica deletes her and you're like thanks monica yeah and then there's the there's like the the good good end uh in quotation marks of course because you know why would you ever be ever be allowed to be happy um where monica realizes like after you delete her, like, you know, this is not how somebody in your reality loves somebody. Like, they don't just keep them trapped in a place forever. And she essentially, like, fixes everything, right? But she's just like, the way to fix everything is I just can't be in the game, Mm. which is sad. Yeah. I I honestly think that's like, this game is a tragedy. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it sort of, there's that moment of feel good at the end because Sayori's back and she's like, 
yay, yeah, like, thanks for everything that you did, and you try to make us all happy and stuff, and, like, the fact that there's no, like, uh, emotional payoff, essentially, for any of the specific roots so much as for beating the game as a whole, mm. I think speaks a lot to uh, the idea that, you know, this is a game where that sort of thing doesn't exist, right? right? Like, it's a very complex and nuanced look at the visual novel as a as a you know as a genre as a medium oh yeah absolutely mm -hmm. and i don't know i just i just feel really bad for for monica and like the song she sings at the end makes me really like emotional every time i hear it oh yeah the one she wrote for you on the piano but she's just like and if in your reality i don't know how to love you i'll leave you be like mm -hmm. no it's fine. You can be in the game. <laughs> Just don't kill anybody. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I think I understand because, like, Monica as a character can't deal with the existential dread, whereas Sayori can. Mm. And the fact that the fact that Sayori, and I think this is one of maybe the most interesting lines in the game, where Sayori is like, "Please, like, visit us again," mm -hmm. which is like, yeah, yeah, right. That's so interesting because I think. Now knowing that there's a there's a sort of scene where um or like at least a dialogue point where Monica is is like um you know turning the game off is like the screaming void, right? Like that totally brings a new context to it where the characters obviously if you reinstall the game and you play it they're gonna suffer again yeah but that's better than not right like than not being <laughs> right unless you turn on the game oh that's so scary that's so scary. Mm -hmm. Monica even says there's no happiness here. Yeah, cuz I mean if you try to if you try to like um restore uh, Monica's character file, like if you try to just put it back in there manually, mm. she'll be like, "Please." Oh, uh, she says very specifically, uh please stop playing with my heart. I don't want to come back and deletes it herself. Oh, I always wondered what would happen if you did that because when we were done with the game, my friend was just like, hey, Monica's file is still in your recycling bin, right? And I was like, yeah. And then she was like, what if, what if you put it back in though? <laughs> <laughs> just put it back in there. Yeah. But then uh, when I tried to restart it again without, you know, her character file, it just said that I had to reinstall the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's because you went all the way to the end. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that makes sense, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I. I the game is just so well done and it, it, I think it drives home the impact of choices mm -hmm. without making them explicitly permanent, right? Like it, there's there was like um so okay, I'm taking a class called video games as visual culture. Um and in the class some of the ideas come from like the early 2000s and so obviously they don't necessarily like line up with the games industry at current right and the things that it has achieved but very notably there was um there's um a guy named uh gonzalo frasca who uh was like theorizing about games you know he's like is is there like a way to make games that are impactful and serious right like that have serious consequences when a game can just be started over again right mm. and uh, i think the way to do that is you just restrict the player's options like you just do Doki Doki Literature Club, but uh, there's no happy ending because there's not a happy ending written. There's just the ending. And even though it, you're not making choices, like you're not making meaningful choices, mm -hmm. you're kind of like strung along for the ride. It 
it still is meaningful. Right. There's like it feels impactful, even even though the choices you make are quite limited. Yeah, like each choice felt earth shattering. Yeah. yeah, I have a lot to say about this game. If you have, if you cannot tell, <laughs> I've I've been I've been mulling this game over in my mind for like weeks. Mm-hmm. I swear, I really wish we had made it for Valentine's Day. It would have oh. made for an amazing episode. Yeah, I know. Um. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else? Is there anything else you want to say before we move on? So I want to talk about meta meta text. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because we really just I mean that's just the kind of game this is. It invites discussions of meta meta text. Um so meta meta text is um the next Boku no Hero Academia character. No, wait. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> No, no, I, I don't have I don't have enough like joke material to, uh-huh. to back up this joke. I just thought it was funny. Shout out to my boy Tetsu 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 Tetsu. Tetsu Tetsu Tetsu. Right. So the game the game itself is a meta text, right? Like mm-hmm. it has the all of the way all of the ways in which it as a as a postmodern text, um I mean within this case is completely accurate because it literally is just words. Mm-hmm. words and pictures uh the ways that it kind of is is very cognizant of what it is and where it stands in a tradition of things and actively moves you know in in directions uh based on on that knowledge mm-hmm. right so then the meta meta text is all of the stuff beyond that right so this is this is like monica having a twitter account and yes. tweeting and i don't know speaking of I, I don't know if you've seen the like valentine's tweet but it was pretty great i follow her on twitter now so i've seen everything <laughs> i just i just followed her on twitter i also followed dan salvato thanks thanks dan thanks dan we know your last name now <laughs> uh, now i'll never forget it <laughs> i always love things like this where it's like oh yeah this this real ass character has a as a Twitter account. Yes. Because <laughs> they're a real ass character. <laughs> but uh yeah, like things like that, right? And then of course there's fan art and fan culture, and I know we were like dunking on Undertale's fandom for being uh fervent. I love you, Undertale fandom. Please don't come after please, me. I'll play your game at some point please, and I'll join you. <laughs> please don't come to my house and eat my my body in children <laughs> i just it would be so bad but just don't just don't do that yeah. um right so this is like fan art and fan culture right and mm-hmm. this is all the the transformative like all the ways in which fandom and uh, well fandom is an extrapolation of like of interpretation right and interpretation is meta meta text so this is the ways in which, you know, fans interpret the game and then make something out of it. Okay. So, for instance, this is uh, people who draw fan art, right? Mm-hmm. Like, people who draw fan art of, like, happy endings are, in a way, creating a happy ending that the game itself doesn't provide, but at the same time is still equally meaningful because... As we learn from you know many years of literature study, 
the canon sometimes is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I I agree. <laughs> sometimes yeah. you need to make your own ending to be happier, or else you will never be able to let this thing be- go. Else will just be sad. That's <laughs> in in a lot of ways. This is why I like sort of um, pieces of fiction that don't end really happily, because I f- it feels impactful. Not in a way that is like, oh, happy things can't be impactful. Because obviously, the ending of Undertale, the good one at least, is really happy and really impactful as a result. Mm. But I think. That there's a time and a place, right? Like, sure. I don't think Doki Doki Literature Club is a game that could have ended happily. I think mm-hmm. the the best ending it has is the best that it could possibly do. Right. It it ends in a way that's very bittersweet, and Monica's just not allowed to exist, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they brick the game, and then they're just like, you have to reinstall. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, she she says herself, like, there's no happiness here. And yeah, there is no happiness here, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's totally like. I mean, it's totally a thing where like, um, I I so enjoy that as a as a sort of character moment, Mm. um, especially because there's another you know moment near the end where she's like, you know, I always love the literature club, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I think that that by itself is a very meaningful, impactful phrase like that's that's makes me emotional just thinking about it yeah i mean and it, I mean, she she'll always love it but it's also all that she'll ever have <laughs> i mean it's it's true but like if you if you really think about it like you know the sort of mimetic nature of of monica as a character who persists beyond the boundaries of the game like mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a weird like hippy dippy interpretation of it but like if you if you think about it like the fact that monica as a character exists in our minds Mm -hmm. after we play the game as as uh, as we interpret her and to the point where we're talking about her as a character Mm -hmm. i think that is like actually meaningful and impactful Right. right like there's um I've been saying like more than usual today. Like oh my god. Like oh my god. <laughs> I, th- I think it's I think it's because I'm reaching the point where like my mind has not quite processed all the information. It's still thinking. <laughs> that makes but, sense. Yeah. She might be controlled by the bounds of her game, of her reality that is. But you know, the fact that as a character that uh, you know, she lives. I mean, that's that's like a weird kind of like Christian Jesus thing. It's like Jesus is inside all of us, and if you pray hard enough, he'll know. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that she's trying so hard to reach outside the bounds of her, you know, quote unquote coding, is actually a really relatable and human thing to do. Like, yeah, and that's a bit odd to say about you know a fictional you know character that only exists in a game and only within her coding but i mean we as humans strive every day to be better and more than what we are and i think that's a powerful part in her narrative and why a lot of people can end up identifying with monica yeah monica i think like there's a reason that there's so much put into her uh to be 
portrayed as as a very very complex character mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of that reason is is to hold a mirror up to people right right like she reflects the existential dread and you know the fear of a lack of self determination that like a lot of people actually have and her struggles are 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 inherently human struggles right mm-hmm. it's not just oh what 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 do i do if i can't like get the boy i like mm-hmm. no it's like it's literally i might have i might there might be no such thing as free will mhm and that's terrifying yeah to some people i mean i don't find that terrifying it's like she i do find it sad though she has a very interesting uh you know, struggle where, you know, a lot of people, they struggle with, oh, what's my purpose in life? What life has no meaning. Whereas her, it's like, she has a very clearly defined purpose. It's written in her code, but she has no free will. Well, she has no true free will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just like her so much. (laughs) I can't, I can't stop like feeling sympathy for that. It's just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's an intensely relatable character. She is, and I get even like even though the way that she treated her uh, the, the other buns. characters in the game to the point of like doing really really awful things and driving them to uh, mental illness and you know suicide, literally uh, driving it, at least two of them to suicide. Yes, exactly. She, if you think about it from her point of view, these characters have no meaning for her. They're just code to her, right? Like, the only person right. that has meaning for her is the actual, you know, 3D person behind the game. So, for her, she probably, I, I would think that she probably treated the other characters as objects until she has her revelation at the very end. It's like, oh, well, I actually really do love the literature club. Yeah. 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 Oof. Heavy stuff. Heavy mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, yeah. I, think, I, th- <laughs> I think that might actually be it. <laughs> I think we, we gotta I, we gotta end the podcast with that kind of note as well, just like the game. <laughs> I think we have to to doki doki our literature club. This is and this is itai itai literature club. <laughs> this is this is itai itai weeb central. <laughs> this is kirai kirai. I want to die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where can we find you on the internet, Renu? Man, uh, so I, like I mentioned, I streamed this game over on Twitch at Swandron. I, I streamed it with my girl, Oxcoxa. She's a very sweet cinnamon roll girl who, uh, actually lost sleep over this game. So I, <laughs> I recommend it that you just... spooky as heck. It's really spooky. She, like, lost sleep for, like, a week. <laughs> I feel really bad for her. But now that we finished it, she can sleep again, which is great. <laughs> and she's making fan art for it so please check her out check i'm i mean i'm there i'm always in her streams and uh i'm on twitter occasionally i'll retweet something that suit posts or whoever my friends whatever they do or i'll retweet ava and birds (laughs) what about you (laughs) soup you can find me at all the places at literal soup (laughs) <laughs> if I'm on the internet, that's where I am. Yeah. Also, y'all, there's a Mambo Number no. Five parody with Monica. Please watch it. Just search up YouTube Monica Number no. Five. 
I did not know about this. And I will I'm, link it to you right after this and you will I'm, enjoy it. <laughs> I'm going to watch it exactly after the podcast ends. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel like there was something else. Oh, that's right. I write articles for uh, Bay Area Gaming, which is um, maybe tipping my hand too much because then you can like, I don't know, stalk me. I, I feel what like I've already frick? talked about... I feel like I've already talked about like where I go to school though. So are you I mean, talking about point, your real life right now? Yeah, I'm. I'm talking about a real fucking flesh body. Um, oh. If you if you are interested, um, if you go to Bay Area Bay Area Gaming dot com, uh, you will find that I write articles and under the fake name Josh Kim, and <laughs> I just I just wrote an article about. Uh, the San Francisco Shock, which is one of the Overwatch League teams, and hmm. my poor boys, I thought they would do better, but they've just been getting <laughs> steamrolled by really good teams, no! and it's just, I mean, I'll tell you what, for, for a team that basically only has six people on it, and that's it, oh. they, they they put up a surprisingly good fight. It's just that they, I don't, they always fall apart at, um, at the oh. last minute and are they like a full-time team yeah they're they're a full-time team um so the way that uh overwatch league works is that there are you know obviously there's six like player slots and then mm-hmm. you can have as many um well you can't have as many subs as you want you can have up to 12 players total and uh the thing about san francisco shock which is the the local team is they have six players which are their main starting roster they have one player on the bench who just probably isn't going to see any play because he just, I don't know, it, the heroes he plays just overlap too much with some of the other players on the team. And mm. I guess he just doesn't play them well enough to, you know, gel with the team or whatever. Mm. And then the other two players they have in their roster are, um, they're currently 17 and the Overwatch League is mandated to be, you know, 18 plus. So uh. they can't play until the end of March, basically. Mm. So basically, uh, and those are, those two are the best players essentially on the team. So the youngins, yeah, the youngins. So they're just waiting. <laughs> I mean, youngin if you, reflexes. Yeah, if you really think about it, um, all of esports is basically like that. Like all of the best players are seventeen right now. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a player named Flower who was on the Korean team in the Overwatch World Cup, which was countries versus countries, and. He was basically just the most disgusting sniper on the planet and carried a game just by <laughs> himself. He didn't need to carry it, but he did. <laughs> I just will. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, yeah, I guess I'll just do this. <laughs> but yeah, um, I occasionally write articles over there. Um, I also wrote one about TwitchCon 2017. Yeah. Much later after TwitchCon actually happened. So what's even the point? Uh, you can you can tell that my my work ethic is all over the place because I'm always working on something, but you know, it's inconsistent because they're all different things. Like I'll write an article here and there, I'll make a podcast here and there, uh-huh. um, and then I'll <laughs> do my actual schoolwork here and there. But <laughs> oh, yeah, school. so I I do that too. If you wanna if you wanna read that, you can read that. Um, <laughs> I don't guarantee interest, and I think. I think that might be it. Akechi Goro, eat your fucking heart out. Oh my god, again? (laughs) I'm gonna make it a thing. (laughs) Just you wait.
can you hear me? <clears throat> Hi, it's me. Just to find that special day.